Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, talks about in the, these last days spoken to us by His Son, that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things, through whom He has also made the world. That Jesus Christ is the owner, that He is the one that has not only created the world, but has inherited the world. He is the owner of the world. And uh, this is a truth that we look at and believe. And yet, when you look around the world today, does it, does it look like it's owned by Jesus? And I question why that is and what's going on with that uh, and the passage that we're about to embark on here is going to help us understand why it is that the world doesn't look like it's owned by Christ and what that means for us going forward. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back and sealed with seven written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, "Who is worthy?" to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. This world is owned by Jesus Christ. It's been created by the Lord, and yet we look at it and recognize someone else has taken possession of this world. The enemy has taken possession of this world. Satan is the one, uh, the prince of this world, as he's called in the Bible, the prince of this world has taken control, taken possession. And I wish I could say that he came in here by force and against our will, took it away from us. But the truth of the matter is, we handed him the keys to this world in that garden. Are you all with me? We've surrendered this world to the prince of darkness. I'm going to share a story with you all that's humbling to me, but what difference does it make? You guys know how goofy I am already, so it doesn't matter if you think less of me after this story. Did you all know my truck was stolen a while back? you all heard that story? Did you hear why it was stolen? Maybe not. <laughs> I went in to get me a Coke, and I left the door unlocked to the truck. Someone hopped in and took off. Now, when they took that truck, was that their truck? Whose truck was it? It was mine, right? But because of uh, foolishness, uh, they... Uh, they, they ran off with something that belonged to me, all right, because I wasn't guarding uh, that which I possessed. This is what has occurred with creation. God creates the world, and his people were not guarding that which they were given authority over, dominion on, um, but they surrendered their possession now. Why does the police officer bring that truck back to me 
whenever they recover it back, back the, in those days, last year, year before last. Because I possess something in my file cabinet. What, do you, what is that? That's, Kendra, what is that? <laughs> she works in the title office, the tax office. I have the deed. I've got the title to that truck. And so I'm the owner of that truck. Someone may come and take it for a road trip or, or try to take it away from me or steal it, but it gets brought back to me because I'm the owner. I've got the title deed. Now this scroll with seven seals is the title deed for God's creation. Okay? Y'all with me? This is the title deed that, that brings into fruition what we read in Hebrews, that Jesus is the heir of all things. But here we are in a broken world, in a world that's created to be in the hands of Jesus Christ, meant to be heaven and earth together in the Eden relationship, and the enemies taking possession, taking possession of this world. And we relate to John this morning as he reacts to what he sees. Here this title deed for God's creation is sealed up and shut. And if only it could be read, then this, the record would be set straight and everyone would know what or who creation belongs to and what is it supposed to be like and how we get it the way it's supposed to be. We notice something here as the angel asks, who is worthy to open the scroll with seven seals? And we see here in this, in this Greek, which I don't often mention the Greek, but in the original language here, it says, not even one, okay? Not just nobody, not just no one, not even one. Not even one in heaven is able, and it repeats it, by the way. It says in our, in our version here, not, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. In the original language, it says, not even one in heaven. Not even one on earth, repeats it. Not even one under the earth is able to open the scroll or to look at it. There is no one, not even one, able to open that scroll and to restore things the way they were meant to be. We look around this broken world, this messed up world and we think who can fix this broken world we're entering into a season of politics where people are going to say my guy can fix the world and the other group will violently in some cases say no our people are the ones that are going to fix it and i've got news to you not even one of either of those groups are able to ultimately fix the broken world it doesn't mean we just throw our hands up and, and don't work on restoring creation what it's meant to be. It's a point we must embrace, this idea. There is no king. There is no prince. There is no Republican. There is no Democrat. There is no prophet, no pastor, no, no one in heaven, not even an angel, not even an archangel, no heavenly uh, being that God's created. No prophet of old, no apostle, no saint, not even one, not even one is able to restore this broken world. And John sheds tears that you and I shed today. We shed these same tears when we see a child come down with cancer, 
We, we shed these same tears when we see uh, criminals take advantage of children and exploit them. We shed these same tears when we lose loved ones all too soon and in tragic ways. We shed these same tears when we see the poor who have no one to help them and serve them. We shed these same tears when we see all these folks that, have, that are lost and have not put their trust in the Lord. We shed these same tears, guys, all the time, don't we? And we look and say, How, who can fix this? How is there not even one? No one can open uh, this scroll. The Christians have been shedding these tears that are so similar to those tears Jesus wept when he looked over Jerusalem. Remember that verse we always wanted to memorize it as kids because it was the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Like, I got that one memorized. He wept when he looked over Jerusalem and saw people lost like sheep without a shepherd. He says, oh, I wish I could just gather them up and protect them. And he wept. And we cry those same tears for a broken world. And we wonder, God, who can fix this broken world of ours? How will it ever get fixed? Who is worthy to open up the scroll and set their record straight? And so we weep. We weep just like John wept. But the elder says something here we need to take note of. Do not weep, the elder said. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. I want to go back here and just unpack this a little bit. We go back to Genesis and And this is what it said in Genesis chapter 49. Judah, your brothers will praise you. This is the man Judah now. One of the the children of Abraham here. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The Lion of Judah is the one who's received that scepter. What is the scepter? The thing the king has, okay? This is what it means when it says Lion of Judah. It's going all the way back here and saying, Hey, Judah, you're going to be in charge, and all the kings of Israel came out of the tribe of Judah. But there is one coming that this scepter belongs to, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the elder says, this is the one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the source of David's power, the one who brought David up, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. Weep not! Weep not! Behold, the Lion of Judah has prevailed already. He has prevailed when he came to this earth, marched through life sinless, and put himself on a cross, defeating Satan and evil forever. He's prevailed already. Weep not. Weep not! Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Interesting here that the 
writer that John doesn't use the same word for lamb you find all throughout the New Testament, but uses a slightly different translation, a slightly different word for lamb that literally means little pet lamb. You know, the people of Israel, before they were to sacrifice their Passover lambs, they didn't just go buy one on the way to the temple. They bought it a little bit ahead of time. They brought it into the house. They made it their pet. Why would they do such a thing? Because they saw the pain and they saw the significance that this innocent lamb was being sacrificed. And this is the little baby pet lamb that has been sacrificed as though it had been slain. And I looked, behold, in the midst of the throne, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This Lion of Judah, this Lamb, has already prevailed and is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals of the scroll. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. You are worthy to take the scroll. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. Let's don't just hop over these things. Let's dive in and... and you know, it's like that chocolate pie at the, you don't skip that, you know, when you're at the Thanksgiving feast at your grandma's. You need to stop and be sure you get that. And this is one we're going to stop and be sure we get. This redeemed situation, this idea of the Redeemer, going back to Genesis once again, or excuse me, to Leviticus. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 25 here talking about land ownership and how it works back in that day. The land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. This is God talking here. You are the only foreigners and you are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. With every purchase of land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. If there is no close relative to buy the land, but the person who sold it gets enough money to buy it back, he has the right to redeem it from the one who bought it. The price of the land will be discounted according to the number of years until the next year of Jubilee when all the land was turned back over to the original. In this way, the original owner can then return to the land. But if the original owner cannot afford to buy back the land, it will remain with the new owner until the next year of Jubilee. In that Jubilee year, the land must be returned to the original owners so they can return to their family land. Y'all ever wonder what that means when we... It's the year of Jubilee. What does that mean, the year of Jubilee? All the land goes back to the original owners. It's the year of Jubilee, uh, this kinsman redeemer, as it's always been called. The one who's related can go and buy the land back for you. It's like, uh, 
you know, me uh, hawking something valuable. But then he takes out his checkbook and he, he redeems that thing I hawked off to get money because of the value that it has. And this is what the Lord is doing for us. Don't miss out on the significance of this. That this idea that Jesus is redeeming a broken world. He's redeemed us. He's bought us back. And he's redeeming this broken world as well. He's buying it back. He didn't have to do this. When creation turned their back on the Lord, he had the power to just step away and let it, let it go. But because of his love for us, he's chosen to redeem us, to buy us back, and to buy back this creation. Now, going back to our passage in Revelation 5, we'll finish it up now. And every creature which is on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are saying as are, excuse me, that are under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. This is the passage this morning that I found so powerful and impactful to me. And it forces a, a recognition we have, number one, about the title deed of this world, that while someone has taken possession of this world that we're in, Satan, the enemy, he is not the owner. The owner is the creator of this world, and Jesus Christ is worthy to open that scroll so that the title deed can be read and that Jesus can redeem, buy back this world and make it the way he always intended it to be. Set the record straight. Fix the brokenness all around us. And it brings us to a point of powerful and life-changing application. Are you going to weep because of the brokenness of this world? As though you were hopeless and wondering who is out there that can fix this? Is there not even one able? Or are you going to be like the elders and all those in heaven who bow down and worship because Jesus Christ is worthy? He's powerful enough. He is strong enough to set things straight and open up that scroll. Is he enough in your mind? Or are you weeping? Because there's something you're looking for, something you're missing, wondering, will it ever come? Will this ever be fixed? Is there not even one able? This process will unfold before us. The, the revelation will tell us the story of how this happens and what exactly happens. But today, the question is enough for us to say, when we encounter the injustice in our lives and in the world and the brokenness all around us, do we weep or do we worship? 